You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowance and I'm joined this morning by John Townley and Matt Kendrick. It's like Aston Villa with their centre-half partnerships. We've got another version of the podcast with the three of us this morning. Um, the first time we've done a podcast together, I think, so let's see how this goes. Um, I also was prepared not to be doing this podcast today because I wasn't available yesterday. I haven't seen anything from the game apart from two minutes of highlights, which showed me an offside, uh, a goal disallowed that the corner went out before the ball was in play or something, and the goal from my stand, which was a fluke to be fair, but that's all I've seen. So um, we'll kind of see how this goes. I think it'll be more about a general discussion about Aston Villa, Villa being rubbish rather than a, a tactical analysis of West Ham anyway. So I'm sure I can wing myself through the next half an hour telling everyone how rubbish Villa are, to be honest. To be honest. Um, I'll come to you first, Matt. You look like you've lost some weight, by the way. You did the post-match video for us yesterday. I thought, he looks a little bit thinner again. I've actually piled on. <laughs> sorry, then. Sorry for bringing no, that up. No, I'll be on all-inclusive, so I've actually... I must be wearing a flattering uh, a flattering T-shirt. <laughs> you must have it at a good angle. Um, what are you asking me? Was that a, was that just, a question? Just how are you? Just how are you doing? Sorry for bringing up your weight. <laughs> That's all right, mate. It's nice of you to say. Um, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm, I know that you made me do a little video... For, for Twitter yesterday when I got home when I was in a sulk and I didn't want to do it. Um, 10,000 views, though. People liked it. Did it? Yeah. There you go. Um, instead of this. Um, yeah, it, it was just... It's just grim, wasn't it? I just... I feel like a bit of a mug. Um, and probably people probably will probably say, Matt, you are a mug. Uh, but, you know, the last time me, you and John were together in a proper room rather than a virtual room, we were kind of... New season optimism and stuff, and look who we've signed, and we've got a new centre half who's quality, and we've got the holding midfield that we've been waiting for for ages, and it's only a matter of time before this exciting strike force clicks into life. And I don't know. Listen, we're only four games in, albeit you know three defeats and and, and one win, and a very kind of bleak outlook at the moment. But was was our optimism based on blind faith? Or what? Because if we do a Christian Perslow and we look at the back end of the previous season rather than just this season so far and we take 12, 15 games as a whole, what evidence was there for that that kind of misplaced optimism? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like have we been taken for a ride a little bit? You know, we should have seen more by name. We should have seen, you know, I'm not saying that Villa should be, you know, where Arsenal are or whatever or where Spurs are, but we should be halfway up the table with, you know, four games. We should have seven points, I think. We should have six or seven points in the bag and be looking forward with, with optimism, thinking we can go to Arsenal on Wednesday and we can put up a fight and thinking that we can welcome Man City next Saturday and we can put up a fight rather than thinking, how many more games does this manager get? I mean, well, four games into a season, what kind of question is that? My, not saying we're wrong to be asking it, but... My low-level analysis before the West Ham game was: well, their bad run won't last forever. They will score a goal at some point. They will get some go- They will get some points at some point. So the same could be said for Arsenal. They won't win every single game. They will. They will slip up. But I don't think Villa will be the team to stop their unbeaten streak. But if we'd have beat West Ham and we'd have got something against Crystal Palace, we would be looking at it going, "Well, we've got seven points. Let's go to Arsenal. We're on TV. Let's go and upset them. Let's go and let's go and rock the title charge at the top a little bit and upset Arsenal." But I said before the West Ham game, I thought we'd lose West Ham, Arsenal and Man City and there's nothing I saw yesterday in those two minutes of highlights to suggest that we will do anything against Arsenal and Man City. Um, three and a half minutes in, so I will introduce John. John, how are you first? I'm okay, thanks, mate. I'm good. Okay, good. That was very bleak, was it? <laughs> you don't sound all right, mate. Um, 
you were there yesterday covering it from the press box and, and did the press conference and all those kind of things. So before we get into the, I mean, the comments were all Gerard in, Gerard out. So we're going to have to talk about it at some point. Um, how was the presser? We'll talk about the game in a bit. But what was the mood like inside the, the stadium after that game? Uh, well, the mood straight after the game was obviously loads of booze and it was a bit toxic towards the end. And to be fair, I think before then, uh, it wasn't that. It was very supportive of the team. A lot of West Ham fans on social media were saying that the atmosphere was really good. Um, they probably would say that after they've won, though, to be fair. Uh, yeah, in the press conference itself, very quiet, very very uh, dull, really. Gerard, not really. He, he says he's usually quite chirpy in press conferences. I think this sort of reality hit him a little bit, that we've won one in eight, soon potentially to be one in ten. All the stats that we're going to bring out are now going to get, well, could possibly get worse, obviously, say, with Arsenal, Man City, the two most informed teams in the division. So it doesn't get any easier from here. Um Villa are in it now. It's, it's almost the reality of the situation. I don't quite think Gerard knew that we were uh, not necessarily this bad because I don't think we played poorly against West Ham necessarily. I think it's more just the chance creation in the final third that was off. But yeah, this is where we are now. We're just hovering above that bottom three and saying two games time. After then, you've got crunch games against Leicester and Southampton. Those games are must wins now and you wouldn't have thought that again when we were doing that pre-season preview what like four weeks ago mm. so it's um, yeah I, I don't know where the club goes from here that's where I'd say so I think last against Bournemouth I said that I was worried and a bit alarmed about what we've just seen because I think we knew that that would now continue into Everton into Palace and into West Ham as we've seen so yeah I think we've all sort of been uh, proved right in a way after pre-season we can't really see what's going on we don't know Gerard knows his best 11 so there's been loads of different changes. So it's, yeah, really tricky to see where where the club goes from here in the next two weeks, the next month. I couldn't tell you. Mm. The, start, the start that I liked, oh, I don't like it because it's, it's grim actually. Um, West Ham and Bournemouth versus Aston Villa, 3-0. I, I agree with over the two sides, 1-0 West Ham, 2-0 Bournemouth. West Ham and Bournemouth against the other sides they played, zero goal scored, 21 <laughs> conceded. And that is skewed a little bit by... Uh, Bournemouth being battered by Liverpool yeah. but that's grim reading to me that yeah we're not bottom of the league we're not rooted to the bottom might as well be we're close enough to it but we've not even been in the games we have lost to they've been rubbish in their other games um, it's very we talked about it a few weeks ago and I saw some people retweeting the, the video that I did last week or the week before about being kind of disengaged with it all and just being a bit you know how long is this going to last and you say at the start Matt how, how much further have, has Gerard got is he going to turn it round or will he be sacked I mean, that is the the flashpoint is he'll either turn it around and we'll get good and we'll go right okay well it's a tricky start but we've clearly got something in place now to move forward with or he'll be sacked and we'll be back to square one um, you talked about at the start about the blind faith of pre-season we said let's be a little bit more kind of reined in than we were last season potentially and say maybe 10th or 11th is a, is a half decent season rather than just saying oh yeah we're going to finish 6th because that, that is stupid anyway um, but it wasn't based on anything really because nothing had changed nothing had changed over pre-season we were still playing the same way so when we're all saying, you know, let's just, we said at the start of the season after um, Bournemouth saying, you know, oh, everyone's going to ice three wins in 12 or whatever it is. I was saying, let's just say, let's just say it's one defeat from one because let's just focus on this season. It's supposed to be a fresh start. Yeah. But nothing was different this season to the start of last season. I think you and me, John, said after the game that it, the start of this season was just like game weeks 38, 39, 40 and 41 of last season rather than, you know, game weeks one, two and three, four of this season. It's exactly the same if not worse than it was last season. If we'd have come out the start of the season or start pre-season and we were playing three at the back or four, five, one with wingers and that was a change of system and we were going, right, well, it is a fresh start now because we're trying something new that we weren't doing last year. But we're trying exactly the same things as we did last year. 
and getting worse performances. It's not so I don't know what I don't know what preseason before. There's all this talk about oh, give him a preseason, get him his own players, and he needs time. They need time to gel. What are they doing over preseason? They don't look like they've gelled. They don't look like they've got a coherent system. So it feels like we've wasted three and a half months, really. There's no consistency in there either. Like against West Ham, you see the team cheat, and you're like, oh, it's two up top again. But is that going to work? We don't know. And if it does work, that'll probably change against Arsenal and change for Man City. So I remember saying in the preseason again. We're kind of flicking between these formations and it's on the one hand, it's Gerard can be adaptable and we have different systems to suit different games. But then in the other in the other way you can look at it is that he doesn't know his best eleven, and the players aren't settled in what he's trying to make them do because so we're changing every game. And that's that says a lot about where we are because if we had a set formation like West Ham doing like other teams do, um, then that breeds success, doesn't it? If we're going into mm-hmm. games not knowing what formation we're going to play until the Friday... You know, I don't, I don't like sort of giving the players an easy time off about it. But what are they supposed to, you know, they need to be settled. They're sort of creatures of habit. You need to give them. You know, Luca Dean needs to know what he's doing every week. So does Danny Ings. So does Ellie Watkins. Everyone needs to know their position, their place. That's how competition for places comes about. You know, Leon Bailey had a great preseason and he's started the season well for me. But then he's on the bench against West Ham. And then he gets you know, twenty minutes. So uh, yeah. I, there's no consistency with it. And again, if that was getting results, okay, that's fair enough. But it's not getting mm. results. So there's nothing else to um, sort of an, analyse with that. Well, if we were changing the side because we we're, you know, horses for courses and changing it based on the opposition and we were getting results off the back of it and we we're going, oh, we had this tactical tweak and that made us win against Crystal Palace, we'd sit and go, it's good that we don't have a best team because we're being flexible and changing it. Yeah. We're being flexible and changing it. Like I said at the yeah. start, four different centre half pairings. You don't know which of the front three will play. I think in your post-match video, Matt, you said you've got Watkins, Ings and Coutinho on the bench, Buendia, Bailey and Archer in, in reserve, and that should have enough firepower to do something. And we still don't score bags full of goals. It's not like we're losing games 3-2 or we're having tight draws like Newcastle had a 3-3 Man City and stuff like that. We're not really being in it and we're not creating and, and that is the concern. Um, like I said, I wasn't there yesterday. What did you think during the game, Matt? Cause I, saw, I saw a few people say the first half... <coughs> Was was okay, maybe, or the second half was okay. West Ham were probably there for the taking, and we still haven't still haven't taken them. Yeah, before I get to that, <laughs> you know, I don't, it's, it's the sunshine there. So my window at the moment. It's bank holiday. You know, we're all working, so it's not that great. But it's bank it's bank holiday Monday, and it's like, like this is not a criticism of you guys. You know, I like to mess around at the best of times. It's like really somber. It's like the kind of death of a president or something. It's like <laughs> really kind of somber mood. I think. That takes some doing for Aston Villa to... To ruin a bank holiday. I mean, it does, right? Doesn't it? We ruin every weekend. Well, Villa ruin every weekend, so this isn't new. Yeah, but for us to go from, you know, kind of, you know, record season ticket sales again and, you know, snapping up two of Europe's brightest talents, to turn it like that to this so quickly, it's so Aston Villa. Um, But in in terms of the match yesterday... Yeah, I thought, like I said in that, that little video, I thought we we had control of the ball. <laughs> we had more of the ball, whether whether we knew what we wanted to do with it and whether we had a plan for, for hurting West Ham. I mean, West Ham set up, didn't they, quite defensively because they were just trying to bottle it up and trying, trying to grow and get some confidence back. So there wasn't much, you know, there wasn't much space in behind them um, mm. when they started with, with five at the back. Um but I thought I thought it was Villa just trying to kind of feel their way in and trying to kind of you know get a grip of the game and then 
after after half time would then start to be a little bit more creative and to start to stretch West Ham and to find gaps. It didn't happen like that. You know, David Moyes was, was shrewd enough to, to make a tactical tweak and to think, well, actually, this team, you know, despite all they've got, haven't really hurt us much. Maybe we can be a bit braver. Mm-hmm. And Villa didn't really have an answer to it. And like John says, during the course of the game, I thought I thought West Ham fans were probably one of the most vocal sets of fans that, we, that we've seen um, at, at Villa in the last year or two. So I thought, thought they were good. But I thought Villa Villa Park tried to be supportive. And, you know, it still wasn't a, a, on a classic atmosphere from, from the Villa fans' point of view. But there wasn't any kind of negativity, I don't think, or any frustration. Villa were clapped off at half-time, cheered back on. There was a feeling that, yes, we can keep pushing and pushing. And it wasn't until the kind of final whistle when there were pretty loud boos. Um, I sit high up in the Trinity and could hear a couple of kind of the more angry Villa fans directly kind of shouting at, at Gerard. Um, you know, it was an awkward one. You know, Gerard kind of skulked down the tunnel quite quickly. Uh, I'm not sure he's used to feeling anything but love from fan bases. So I think that must have been a bit of a jolt to him. Um and yeah, it, it just, you know... Well, he got stick as a player. He would have got stick as a player, the Slippy G stuff and all that in his final few years. But as a manager, he's well, done well at Rangers. And then, yeah, and then plucked over here, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I'm not, not saying he I can't... Mean, let's, not, let's not give Steve Jar excuses that he can't handle a bit of backlash. I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he can't handle it. I'm just saying I don't think he would have ever experienced it before. So I think mm. he's going through a lot of new things, a lot of new emotions. And, you know... To me, this is much bigger than Steven Gerrard. This is Aston Villa. We, you know, we got our pride back. We thought this was this was part of a trajectory that was going to see us steadily climb towards Europe. That that's the vibes that we've been getting. Uh, that's I don't think the club have shied away from that. I think that that's the ambitions that they've got as well. So I think it's bigger it's bigger than Gerrard. Although having said that, Gerrard knows that if he wants to achieve what he needs to achieve, he can't have Aston Villa involved in a relegation battling battling season. He needs to be, you know, delivering a lot higher than that. And I, I, we'll, we'll come to the bigger questions about his future and stuff. I don't think that he's shown enough yet to prove that he can take Villa on, uh, and that's that's something that he or the club need to address quite quickly. Mm. There's a comment here from from Jason. It's positivity. Arteta couldn't get a tune out of Arsenal at the start of last season, but given time, he's got them singing the musicals. Maybe we'll, look, we'll all look like idiots this time next year. I and mean, we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, and I'd be more than happy to to clip up our podcast from a couple of weeks ago and make us look stupid. If if Gerald beats Arsenal and Man City and we start to go on a nice little run, yeah, make us look stupid, please. I'm begging you to make me look stupid because I want Villa to do well and win games. But at the moment, I've not seen anything in. 15 games, 20 games, I feel like there's anything that's going to change. I don't think we'll, we'll do anything differently. No, do, do no. You, John, can you no. see anything? Is there any shining light of positive where you go, well, there is this that, that looks okay? I think the difference to me between sort of Arteta chat and managers, you can turn it round. But the point being that they have an identity, they know how they want the team to play. And I'm sure Gerard does as well. But how many times have we heard Gerard speak about Michael Beale in glowing terms, saying that you know I, I'm not that coach yet. I, you know I hope, I hope to be the future sort of thing, and then he loses him, then we get Critchley in. So we've had nothing but you know kind of chopping and changing, whether that's in staff, on the pitch, players. There's no continuity at all. You don't see the same backline start more than three games or even two games this season. We've we've had two different defenders for five games. I know that's obviously Ming's been ill and Carlos been injured. 
but there's no there's no continuity. The other managers know what they want and they put it on the pitch and they can execute that. You say earlier when I mentioned about uh, West Ham uh, sort of change of formations every so often. When they do, it works. For example, yesterday, like af- after the game, one of the stewards overheard them saying that's the difference between an experienced manager getting a decision right at half time compared to someone who perhaps isn't still you know learning the ropes in many ways um, on the job. So you know, Moyes brings on uh, Ben Rama goes goes for it a little bit you know, positive, proactive changes. Jared does that as well. But the players become on the pitch and more, you know, let's sort of how, how are we linking play? Ramsey comes on, Wendy, Bailey. It seems to be that we're just putting players on the pitch rather than rather than having, you know, a plan. I think Matt said previously, you got those three players on the pitch. You've had Watkins and Ings as well. And we've we've scored from a corner, but obviously it's disallowed. But apart from that, we've made next to nothing. We've had two shots on, on target since then. We can only remember one that was a a long distance shot from Coutinho that didn't trouble Fabianski. So yeah, I, again, I'm not sure where the club goes from here. That is, I totally agree with Matt. I don't think Gerard's had, um, sorry, Gerard has had, it's what, almost 10 months now. And mm-hmm. sort of argument about, oh, it's only four games in. It's not though, it's 30 plus games now because I think we were all willing to give him that summer, that pre-season and the, and the window as well to let him do his thing in terms of bringing identity in. And he said it himself, that's what he's going to use the pre-season for, bring his identity in and his, um, you know, his philosophy, how he wants the place to run, uh, not just on the pitch as well. But we haven't seen any change. And at the moment, we're only going backwards because we've lost three out of four. And there we go. And again, that Arsenal-Man City game coming up, games coming up, that's probably not going to be uh, making for easier reading. So it's, it's it, we're in a really tricky uh, position at the moment and I can't see it changing with Gerard not knowing exactly what he wants. And if he da- again, if he, if he knows what he wants and he's putting it in the players... It's not working. So either way, you're coming to an issue um, that I don't know. I don't know how that gets resolved from now. I'm going to just waffle some numbers and stats at you for a second. Uh, There's a lot of points in my day that I want to try and come back to. Michael Beale being one of them, we'll talk about in a second as well. I was willing to write off the back end of last season, really. Like I said, let's let's talk about it's one win from it's one defeat from one game, or it's one win, one draw, whatever it is. Let's just focus on this season. But I was kind of being generous and being kind and trying to be optimistic for the sake of being optimistic. But nothing's changed since last season, so I'm not willing to, to say it's three and four anymore because it isn't. It's it's the stats you sent me earlier: um, three wins in fifteen, one win in eight, three out of twelve points this season, twelve out of twenty-four defeats in twenty twenty-two. I mean, that isn't a side who's t- you know turned the corner and is on the route back up into the top eight of the Premier League. That's a side that's struggling in the bottom six of the Premier League or worse, bottom three. Um, it's also a stat from AVSC Stato earlier on, if I can scroll back and find it quickly, talking about Gerard's record versus Dean Smith. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find it because we are live. Let me keep filling for a second. Can I find it? There's so many comments of just people airing their concerns, which is absolutely fair. Um, Stephen Gerald has been in charge of Aston Villa for 31 games, earning a total of 38 points, which is grim. In Dean Smith's final 31 games for Aston Villa, he earned 36 points and was sacked. And there's you know, nothing in my mind to suggest that that isn't 33 games played with 38 points for, for Gerard after the next two as well, which I keep saying I'll be amazed if we get something against Arsenal and Manchester City. Um, just on Michael Beale, again, with all the stuff from internally, there's no excuses thing, so I'm not willing to sit here and give the excuse that we've lost our assistant manager because we're rubbish under Michael Beale for the back half yeah. last season. Anyway. So all this stuff about he's the genius, he's the coach, he does all the talking. So what? We were rubbish last year. So he's not this genius coach. We might be, but Aston Villa, it wasn't working. 
And if Neil Critchley, I was coming with decent pedigree from Blackpool, and he's the, the main man, and he does all the talking now, and he does the coaching, clearly something's not working. So Very, it needs a change. The only the only thing I say about that, Dan, is that we, again, we, we kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt because they didn't have that summer, and the, it was games sort of midweek. There's a load of mid, uh, midweek games last towards January to to May. So that I I can understand why Gerard was so keen on giving Bill and himself that that summer and that sort of period in Australia. But I just wonder why I thought probably Gerard's interview when he was appointed was excellent and and he really impressed. But if he's saying a lot about Bill and he's so important and then says, oh, but he might want to pursue a management role in the next few months, surely that's a big <laughs> issue, right? It's a, it's, a big red, it's a big red flag if your managerial career is only based on how good your assistant manager is. I know you've got a yeah. team around you, but Stephen Gerrard won't be a successful manager if he can't do it without Michael Beale. I think, I think, you know, good good managers surround themselves with good stuff, don't mm-hmm. they? So that's that's football and, and outside of football. But I think the thing is, however important Michael Beale was to Stephen Gerrard, that would have always been on the agenda that he could lose him at some stage. Now, if Stephen Gerrard has got the pulling power to bring in you know, Coutinho and Kamara and Carlos. And we say that he can attract good quality football players to, to Aston Villa. He could probably have the pick of any assistant manager <laughs> or any coach that he wants to. I'm not saying that we go and get big name, you know, assistant managers and he, he's got a Hollywood signings in that sense. But Stephen Gerrard is the manager of this football club. He should be organised enough, well-connected enough, have enough self-awareness of his own abilities and his own weaknesses to be able to bring in somebody to replace to replace Michael Beale. Now, Neil Critchley might be that man and it might be that he does need longer than four games and, you know, two months and passport issues or whatever mm. to start injecting that. But we need to see something. We need to see something that these positive changes there. And at the moment, Aston Villa are stuck in a malaise and we don't... Don't see enough encouragement. And it's really interesting that you kind of... And we're all still a little bit kind of hurt and upset about Dean Smith's reign coming to an end. And a lot, you know, people acknowledge that probably he'd had his time. Some people say, well, you know, if you're going to get rid of him, make sure you replace him with somebody who's going to going to make get, get us better. Now, I tweeted this out yesterday. I think per, Christian Perslow made a rod for his own back by the way that that was framed, the way mm, that Dean Smith's yeah, departure was framed. And this was this was the quote in his um, in his statement. Um, this year, we have not seen the continuous improvement in results, performances and league position, which we have all been looking for. For this reason, we have decided to make a change now to allow time for a new head coach to make an impact. Where does that leave you now? Where does that leave well, you with, with Gerard? <laughs> because we're talking... You know, less than a year on, that's in black and white now. He said the reason was that Villa weren't moving forward at the rate that Aston Villa need to move forward. Now, you brought in a new man, and Christian Stingell was very much Christian Perslow's man. I know they don't get to the cinema together, that was made quite clear, but it's also quite clear that they've got a strong working relationship, or at least a relationship, be, you know, previously. So, Where's this continuous improvement? When do we see it? When do we judge mm-hmm. it? When are we allowed to moan about it? Um, I think they think they've backed themselves into a corner, really. Oh, because... the... Go on. No, because if this continuous improvement doesn't come quickly, you know, 
and Steven Gerrard start starts making Dean Smith's final 15 games look like kind of night and day because Villa are so much better, then why why is Perslow keeping faith with Gerrard when the same wasn't done with Dean Smith? Because Dean Smith, okay, we're very sentimental. He had credit in the bank, but he didn't just have credit in the bank for being an Aston Villa fan. He had credit in the bank for taking Villa from halfway down the Premier League, halfway down the Championship to halfway up the Premier League. So he got that credit in the bank. Stephen mm. Gerrard doesn't really have that. The credit in the bank that Stephen Gerrard has is that when Villa were in a sticky position last autumn, winter, he steadied the ship, got us safe in the Premier League, helped us consolidate in the Premier League. No more than that. No continuous improvement as far as I can see. Yeah, you were saying where does that that statement leave Villa? I, mean, I, I was laughing because it leaves them with, you know, spending less time on the admin when they sack Stephen Gerrard because they can just copy and paste what they said last year. Because the reasons, yeah. if they do sack Gerrard, it will be for the same reasons they sacked Dean Smith. They've not seen improvement. We've had a bad start and we want to change it now to save the season. So if they sack Stephen Gerrard after eight games, ten games this season, based on the precedent that, that Dean Smith got, they can just say exactly the same things. I mean... We said oh, I wasn't planning to be on this podcast. I've got nothing planned. Well, I knew we wouldn't talk about West Ham much, and it is the wider conversation about Aston Villa being poor. But I would question what what Perslow's future at the club is if Stephen Gerrard's appointment doesn't go right. Because he, he was his man; he's made the changes. Now I'm kind of clouded by the fact that I imagine Perslow will be there to oversee the stadium redevelopment. So the next couple of years, and Perslow's job isn't under under threat. But if the owners are putting their money in and saying, "Right, we're going to let you guys run the show." And it's not worked out now, and that was your appointment. If I was the owners, I'd be going, well, What's Christian Perso done right then? He might be a great marketing guy and good for the stadium, and he's doing a lot of good for the club. But football wise, has he made the right decision with Stephen Gerrard? If they sack him in the next six weeks, you'd have to say no. So I would then think, Well, is Christian Perso ready to make the next managerial appointment? Because the next think, one has to be spot on. I think it's an awkward one because there's lots of CEOs who get management, management appointments wrong. Don't have to yeah. go on a walk straight away. To be fair to um, to be fair to Perslow, listen, we all know Dean Smith wasn't his first choice and um, the board's first choice back then. But they can say they got that one pretty, you know, pretty right. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I think I think if Perslow does have to, and we're getting ahead ourselves ahead of ourselves a little bit here. I think I think if Perslow does have to swallow his pride and say that the Gerard experiment um, hasn't worked out. I think he's probably got enough, you know, kind of in the bank with his own bosses. And the fact that he's an investor into the football club as well, it'd be quite an expensive, uh, expensive, um, you know, dismissal or, or, or to get him to leave. So, um, you know, Christian Perzola can do whatever he's doing uh, in the background at the moment. This is very much for me on Stephen Gerrard, on his coaching staff and on the playing staff. You know, they have... Villa now have an embarrassment of riches compared to any stage since Martin O'Neill. Somebody somebody tweeted um, last night that you know this is this this is a real surprise. It's a real exclusive for Claret Blue podcast because I'm actually going to say something nice about Paul Lambert here. Paul Lambert, oh, yeah. Paul Lambert offered up fairly kind of stodgy football. Uh, you know, I remember the time when there was. In the was it in the whole end I think or in the corner of the the, the Witten Lane people had got those um, little yeah. arrows saying pointing towards the goal and stuff like that and it was, it was fairly grim but Paul Lambert tended to have have a cast of Alexander Tonov and Nicholas Hellenius and Grant Holt was our big signing on loan now 
we, I think we can agree that we're shopping in a slightly different market now. So with the players that we've got, with Danny Ings instead of Grant Holt, with Coutinho instead of Tonev, and so on and so forth, with, you know, I know he's in, injured, but Diego Carlos and Toro Mings instead of Jorasa Kore, and so on and so forth, we're in a lot, you know, faintly obvious, I know, but we're in a lot better shape. That's on the manager to, to to solve that puzzle and to make us play in an exciting, aggressive, competitive way. I don't think we were any of those things yesterday. And I don't think we played that bad yesterday, which probably shows that we're having to settle when we shouldn't be having to settle. Hmm. Well, none of that is completely relevant when the side is set up like this in heat map. This was from Party tweeted it yesterday from SofaScore. His caption was POV, you're playing to pull on a tilted table because it looks like all the balls are falling to one side. Why are Philippe Coutinho, Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins stood in a straight line? Why is John McGinn hogging where Luca Dean probably should be and then this massive void on the right-hand side? It doesn't matter who you sign, if that's the way they're going to set up. That could be Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi and Suarez behind as those number those front three players. They're not going to do anything if that's the system. So this is what I mean. If it was different to last season, we were going, right, well, we're looking at it now. And you know, I don't really like it when managers revert to three at the back unless you've signed in players to fit three at the back. But you could at least go, right, well, it is a fresh start because it looks different to last season or we're now playing two up top every single game and it's going to be this system and it might not work just yet. Give it six to ten games and maybe it will kind of click into gear after a pre-season working on it. But in pre-season, we flip between wingers playing and wingers not playing. And if we do want to go back to wingers after Gerard or with Gerard, we've only got Leon Bailey fit as a winger anyway. So we kind of pigeonholed ourselves into playing one system. And when that one system isn't working anyway, I do wonder whether any manager could get these players playing in the right way at the moment. I think the average positions on the Bournemouth game, Palace, Everton, and obviously we're just in the West Ham one. They're all similar. They're all none of them is a none of them is. The four three two one or the four three one two that Jared likes to play. It's as we've just seen there. You, it's like a four three one 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 one. Like we don't know where the, the the players don't know where they're playing, and that's the evidence for that. Unless we're trying to target that. I think it was Tilo Kerr on the right hand side, uh, the West Ham defence. <clears throat> but I doubt that, that was the message because they said there's a massive forward on the right hand side. Why are we stepping on each other's toes? And these, as Matt says, these are quality players. Players that are on a lot of money a, a week, players that have commanded like over a hundred million pounds in transfer fees during their own careers, like yeah, it's staggering really. I'm I'm lost for a bit speechless with how we've started the season and and considering the preparation that we had, this is the full sorry the first full preseason that any Premier League clubs had since you know the back of COVID really. And we've gone to Australia. We had two weeks there, nice camp and playing free games. And but uh, yeah, I'm just staggered how we can't translate everything that what Gerard wants into in, into reality in the Premier League. It's it's mad. It's the first. Um, sorry, that's the first thing that a manager needs to do. hasn't has an identity, and he always says that he does. But translating it, if you can't do that, it's, it's a serious problem. And yeah, those average positions are you know diabolical, really. I think they picked it up on match of the day last night as well, didn't they? We've got Danny Ings, a striker who for several years was averaging 20, 20 goals a season um, in the Premier League. I can't see how many times he'd have been overlapping um, his left back to score those goals, um, mm. to be honest. And it's, it's worrying because, you know, you can see the confidence 
sapping out of them. I think Luca Dean was was quite poor. You know, he obviously made that that important kind of saving tackle um, hmm. that you know Jared Bowen, but in possession he was poor. There was there was a lot of sloppy errors, giving the ball away. Um, second half anyway, and you just see that the more these results go on, even good players can lose confidence. And if they're not starting with confidence in the system and then they're losing confidence in themselves, that's a, a recipe for disaster for me. It just gets worse and worse and the crowd gets more frustrated and it just creates this suffocating atmosphere where you can't thrive. And again, this is against the backdrop of a, of a fan base that was quite energised and quite enthused going into the season. Uh, mm-hmm. And that could have been a, a real kind of... Um, Real ally for Villa, and listen, we'll still be a real ally. They're our team. We're not going to we're not going to turn on the turn on the team, but they're making it difficult at the moment. They're not giving us very much at all to get behind and support. There'll be a handful of people that say that we've been too negative, and that it's only four games, and things can change. And I, I absolutely agree, but I'm not going to get my crystal ball out and, and guess what might happen in the next ten games. We can only talk about what we've seen so far and what we've seen so far this season and the back end of last season, 2022 as a whole. Has been nowhere near good enough for a side that keeps saying we want to break into the top six. John, it's not, talks, it's not I think four weeks ago saying we're going to get into top four. It's stupid. Stop setting high expectations if you can't if you can't deliver them. Yeah, but the club, the club themselves have created this context. It's not four that's games, I mean, yeah. sixteen games. That's yeah. that's that's the measurement that we that we've been asked to measure our, our managers against now. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think the thing the thing for me is what are the prospects. Of what? What does Gerard need to do? Does any of us have the answers? We don't because we're just fans. So we should. Well, I'm not expected to have the answers. Why should I? I go to the game to watch football and hopefully enjoy it. And a lot of the talk over the last couple of weeks is that football is supposed to be an escapism. It's supposed to be something that's fun and you go with your mates and have a laugh. And and it's not even that at the moment. There isn't that good faith of of what what when we were struggling in the Championship and, and Dean Smith came in and kind of galvanised us and got promoted and there was a real feel-good between the club and the supporters. I feel like that's gone now. I don't think that's the same feeling that was there in 2019, 20 and 21. It's now just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know I'll what I'm seeing. Sense. I don't know what I get. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get the sense that, and it might be wrong, it might be misplaced, but I'll get the sense that we've almost been led to believe that Aston Villa can be this kind of super club who can compete. So, Automatically, prices rise. Kits are more expensive. Season tickets are more expensive. You know, we're signing big name players because we want to be up here. I feel we're kind of leaving some of the basics behind. Yeah, like you know, that's games. fine. That's fine to have big stadiums. You know, that kind of look smart and to have big, exciting players stuff like that. But we're a football club, aren't we? You know, we've got to find a way to win football matches. First and foremost. I mean, for, for a start, let's even go more basic than that. Stop losing them. Can we keep a clean sheet at some point? That'd be a good foundation. Get nil at, at the team's at the other team's name. That's the starting point. Nil nil. That should be the very very basic. Stop conceding goals. Keep a clean sheet, and then you might nick a goal. And it might be a fluky one. Double squeeze from a corner directly. But at least you've had that foundation to get the to get the clean sheet first and foremost. Stop the fullbacks bombing on for a game maybe, and have a rigid back four and keep them in there. Was it the same yesterday? Dean and Cash bombing forward, and McGinn and Ramsey cut, or McGinn Dean and Ramsey cut. Dean had no place to go. Had he judging by that 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. that you just so shown us it was quite congested down there. Uh, Cash was in attacking sense, fairly subdued. Actually, we saw a little bit of him. I think as Villa chased the game in the last kind of ten or fifteen minutes. But um, 
you know that that that's the the funny thing. A lot of what a lot of what we tried to do came down a very congested left. Um, I think they they, they handled Matty, Matty Cash pretty well. To be honest, he didn't get much didn't get much joy to 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 advance. Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm really torn because I don't like to be kind of the neg. Mind you, I've been on social media, so I know I'm not the negative one in the room. I know there's there's, there's lots of negativity at the moment, but. I don't know. I don't know how much faith. I don't don't know whether we've seen enough, with the exception of the Southampton game and Leeds away, uh, where we actually kind of clicked into gear last season. I don't think I've seen enough to kind of almost kind of to boot me out of this negative mindset at the moment. Mm. I need to see more. Well, winning away at Arsenal would help. That'd be a start, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, I might as well have inserted a laughter track there because I don't think anyone believes that we'll go and beat Arsenal away on Wednesday night. That's uh, why you've got you your enthusiasm. <laughs> Can it turn around, John? Or will, are we being uber negative? Will there, be, will there be reasons for optimism going forward? It would be classic of Villa if we did win at the Emirates, to be fair. I mean, part um, of me would feel like it doesn't mean anything if we'd go and do it. Well, it 10-0 to Man City, probably. But I said this a few weeks ago. I think everyone probably agrees that because we've been so patchy under Gerrard since last season, if we did win against Leicester and um, Southampton after Arsenal and Man City, because the likelihood is that we lose those two games. But if we did win those two games in a row, I, what I need to see is almost like it's difficult. Leeds were horrendous last season, but then I watched them against Chelsea and it was just, it was nice to see a team set up and you knew exactly what each of the players were doing. Mm. It was just a simple four, two, three, one shape, two holders, a runner behind a striker, two wings on the pitch, getting balls in the box. And that sounds very basic, but as Matt said earlier, we're leaving all those basics behind. We don't know what... If the fans can't see what we're doing on the pitch, the players, I don't think, know exactly what they're doing. And if they do, again, it's a problem because you've got Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins literally standing on each other's toes. So it's 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 difficult because even if we're getting results, I'm thinking, well, this isn't going to last for long because by, we're doing it by hook or by crook at the moment. There's no... There doesn't seem to be a plan over the course of the season where this is how we're going to line up and this is what the players know that they're doing and this is how we're going to beat this team. Instead, it almost feels like opposition managers and whatnot are just kind of talking us up a little bit in press conferences before the game, saying that we've got good players and that we should have a good season. But I'd love to ask them, what are you targeting in the Villa team? Or what are you? What, 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 do, what do you expect? Like, what, what are Villa going to bring to the game? Because I want to know myself in terms of mm. what are they planning for? Are they planning for... Uh, are they planning for wingers or inverted tens, and 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 how is that going to threaten them? Because I can't see how any opposition manager is threatened by us at the moment. I honestly feel like they're just, all right, we're going to target this and that because they're going to play high fullbacks. We're just getting behind there. And for example, yesterday West Ham they set up five at the back just to quiet down the crowd, which they did in the first half. And in the second half, they went for it and they got the goal that I feel like they deserved because they had that game plan. And because Moyes knew exactly what he was doing in that game, he was just to get out of Villa Park with a 1-0, and they did it. But for us, again, I'm not sure what what are they planning for, the opposition, because we don't know either. So, yeah, that that's my point. It's Even if we were getting results, I'm troubled and worried by the lack of identity in the team. And I almost feel like what's, you know, Neil Critchley's been in it for four or five weeks now. I presume Gerard's telling him this is how I want it to look. But he's come in from Blackpool, having managed there for, you know, a year or whatnot and taken on more than just a manager role because, you know, it's obviously a smaller club than Villa, smaller resources. And he's now at Villa and is probably not, you know, used to working 
under someone, um, the stone is what Gerald wants, and it's not going well. It's yeah, it's it's a really tricky situation. There's really, it's hard to find any positives um, at all at the moment, and that's why it's a bit of a a bit of a grim feeling uh, supporting Villa at the moment. You just said there you wouldn't mind if we were, if we weren't getting results if we didn't have an identity and stuff. But if we are getting results, I could kind of do without an identity. But I know what you mean. It's patchy, isn't it? You win it's two, you, you lose four, whatever. It's that's going to get you in twelfth, thirteenth place at best. So yeah. we're not touching the top half with Gerard or any manager for that. You know, for, for the point I'm making in terms of you need consistency. Hmm. Every team that's in the top half or has ever been in European football, for example, Wolves under Nuno and Wolves under Large now. You know exactly what you're getting from that team. West Ham, you know exactly what you're getting. Leicester, you know exactly what you were getting. And obviously, you've got the top six as well. Uh, below that, the teams you don't get in, it's because you're not consistent enough. We have good enough players to get in uh, the top seven positions, in my opinion. But if they don't know what they're doing on the pitch, we're not going to get near it. It's 14th position again, and it was justified last season. There was, there was a comment on the last podcast that I wanted to reference. I've only written it down in the private chat, so I've not got the name. But they said, pardon my ignorance, but there's a question I've got to throw out there. I'm 45 years of age and I've been watching football for most of those years. I'll readily, readily admit that I have no idea what the phrase football identity means. I'm not being funny or smart. I generally have no idea what it actually means. Can someone explain it in a coherent fashion? I expect us to compete. That's all I ask. I don't expect us to win the Champions League, but I expect us to give all the teams in our league a good game. Why is identity important? I don't understand. Uh, we've talked about it a lot, John, but you know, you're more coherent than I am. So do you want to explain what people mean when they say an identity or a system? For me, football's moved on a little bit since like, even five, ten years ago when you could, again, like Martin O'Neill was almost like a four-four-two, and a lot of teams would play that formation. It would be you know, the sort of big man, little man, um, strike force, that sort of thing. But it's moved on to the point now where you've got so many different formations, so many systems and you know ways to combat an opposition um, and obviously leave your mark as well. It's... It, it's simple enough that the players just know what they're doing. For example, West Ham, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be a five at the back, uh, four, sorry, three at the back, five midfield, two uh, two players behind a striker. You know what you're getting. Same as Leicester when they had wingers and they had Madison as a 10. You, it's That's what it is. It, it, it's an identity. It's, it's a way of playing. But for Villa, it's one week, it's two up front. Next week, it's wingers. But are they wingers? Are they, you know, inverted tens? But there's no continuity. That's... You know, again, like if if you ask any opposition manager, what are Villa going to do to harm your team today? I, I don't think they'd be able to tell you, and that's a big worry for me. If if you ask that to Gerard, the first thing he said in the press conference yesterday is, "Oh, you know what you're going to get from a David Moyes team? It's going to be pragmatic, and then they're going to make the changes um, to win the game." But I almost regret not asking Gerard now. What do you think, or asking Moyes, what would Villa bring to the table? Because mm. you don't know, and say so only with an identity can you progress. In the Premier League, like look what Brighton are doing. That's that's the model how to do it. They sold the best two players, Basuma, and uh, forget the other one. Who else they went in as well? Rare as well for big money. And you think, well, they can't. They're not going to be as good as what they were last season or the year before that and the year before that. And they're like third in the table. It's it's incredible. And a lot of that's growing Potter's work, but a lot of that is also behind the scenes of who he's working with and who he had worked in worked with. Sorry, and Dan Ashworth. But Villa for me don't have that. We don't have that structure at the moment that can identify players and bring them in when we lose one or just to make the team better. seems to be very much just solely on the manager. And when the manager's Steven Gerrard, who's a bit inexperienced and reliant on his backroom team, you take a key member of that out, it's going to fall down a little bit like a, like a set of cards. So it's, yeah, it's really tricky at the moment with Villa. I feel like I'm ranting negatively, but I think it's all true at the same time. Do you, um, 
That's I was going to say, Dan, do you... I've seen a few kind of memes with Gerard's head morphed <laughs> on Photoshop into Bruce, Steve mm. Bruce, stuff like that. And I don't want to go too far down that, but there does seem to be an element of Bruce in terms of get set of players on the pitch and then you're just kind of relying on a moment of individual brilliance to, mm. to win you a game. Now, that probably isn't the worst strategy in the world when you've got Coutinho and Buendia. Uh, and flare players like that who should be able to unlock doors. But I don't know, like like, like John says, and I'm probably a little bit like your, um, the commenter about being kind of a, a an older football fan who existed before identity was was a buzzword. But John John raises a really valid point about how what is our game plan? How are we thinking that we are going to hurt teams? Mm. What are we doing? What we're doing because if we're hitting the balls up the for Danny, you know, Danny Ings as is a willing runner and I think work works quite hard for the team. But if we're hitting balls into channels for Ings and, and Watkins to chase, what what next? Are we have we got midfield runners who are going into the box? Have we got our fullback who's going to the back post or whatever? Or are we then just getting the ball up, up quickly for Danny Ings to chase and then you know, as tends to be the case, bringing it back to our fullback, bringing it back to our DM, bringing it back to our centre half, and then doing mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. Because I don't know, I'm probably being a little bit kind of naive here because people with greater tactical acumen than me will understand what we're trying to do. I don't. I can't see our method. You know, Aston Villa playing against West Ham. West Ham had lost all their games so far. You would have thought, thought the nostalgic me would have thought, a good Aston Villa team can get a 2-0 win out of this game today. We can be tight at the back and we can score two goals. But I don't know how those two goals would have come along. Mm. What, what What's our method to hurt, hurt West Ham and score goals yesterday? Do you know, John? Watching it from my position, I thought that, that it was mainly to, again, keep a clean sheet and be solid at the back. And we were using that ball a lot to just whip it between Kerr, Kerr Tiller Kerr and uh, Zuma, that little pocket between those centre-backs and get Watkins or Ings down the middle. And I was writing in my, um, similar to what we just saw in the, the uh, average positions, I was writing, writing in my report, I, I had something along the lines of uh, Ings, you know, being a bit of a nuisance for Kerr and Zuma. And then I remember coming back and I, I knew that I put that for Watkins. And then I realised I literally wrote the same thing. So again, there was Stefano on was toes and that was the game plan in, in, in the way that it was, you know, on the pitch. I'm sure it wasn't as simple as that. But if it was more complicated, clearly the players can't do that. So it's it's really tricky. We don't know where, what, sorry, what's supposed to be happening on the pitch. And again, if we don't know, it's a bit of an easy ride then, isn't it, for the opposition? I'd love to ask the manager after the game and say, I regret asking Moyes, what was the threat that Villa were posing today? And how do you think, or how have your, how has your data analysts reviewed Villa so far this season? Because again, they talk us up a little bit but then they're all, they're all targeting three points against us and it seems a bit of a bit of a punch bag at the minute. Well, we're saying about Southampton and, and Leicester and all those games coming up after these two, and, and but they'll be looking at Villa and going, that's probably exactly. an easy three points there. Then we're talking about we don't really know what we're doing and it looks like the players don't know what they're doing. You'd like to think that every so often we might beat a team because the opposition don't know what we're doing either and we might surprise them with something out of the blue and we don't we don't even do that. The only thing you can guarantee with us at the moment is that we'll, we'll concede. We aren't going to get a clean sheet. 
and we've talked in previous episodes, not I don't think you were on it, Matt, but the amount of times you'll see Mings to Dean to Ramsey to Dean to to Mings, Longmore to Watkins, back at you to Cash to McGinn to Watkins to McGinn to Cash, and they just dawdle around on the halfway line. It's a long ball for somebody to chase. I mean, there's no midfield because there's no midfield to play through because it just goes over the top. Oh, I wonder and if... You are relying they're... on somebody to come on and have a little bit of a flick or Coutinho to put a through ball in and, and we score against the run of play. But that's not yeah. a sustainable tactic, is it? Playing speaking, games against the run of play. Speaking, so speaking to the West Ham uh, journalists around me yesterday as well, a lot of them were asking, well, what's the, you know, where's the negativity come from and it's going under pressure, blah, blah, blah. But the main point is that, as you say there, Dan, we... What was the point you just made there? Sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I don't know. To be I don't know what point I'm trying to make. It's just that I feel like if, we, if, if no one knows what we're doing, we might win a game by fluke at some yeah. point and we still don't it do was, that. It was the, like one of them watched us play Palace last year away and they said, oh, you, you know, you were good, you were solid, it was a good result. And I th- what I said was that was the last time that I remember us going away from home or maybe it was Brighton as well. And we looked solid. We looked like we had a game plan. And it was, again, it was back to basics. It was easy mm-hmm. to look at and say, well, that's what we were doing today. Score from a set piece, I think it was Matt Target, and then get the other goal on the counter attack. And it's exactly what we did against Brighton as well in Gerard's first game. I just wonder mm-hmm. if he's complicated a little bit now and he's asked the players to do something that they're either not capable of doing or they just don't understand. And that's his, that was his system in Rangers. And it was obviously much easier to do. We can't, you know, not, not to bash the Scottish League, but it's, it's nothing compared to the Premier League in terms of I'm competition sure. week. Um, and you can probably do a system every week, and it's, you know, the opposition can try and defend it but ultimately it's just a level above in quality but in the Premier League you need to have again I keep saying it an identity consistency what are we doing in this game that's going to win us three points or keep a clean sheet because I don't think we're even going out to do any like when we go to Arsenal what are we I have no idea what we're going to do I don't know if we're going to go two up front play wingers how are we going to keep the ball do we want to be possession based or not I don't know Jared said he does but then how can we be when you've got John McGinn who isn't a brilliant passer, Douglas Lewis is okay, but then you hook him off instead of McGinn yesterday. It's it's a, it's a massive confusion for me. There's always questions after games that you don't want to be asking, but there's again, there's many more questions than answers at the moment, and I, I don't see how that changes. Those two games, it almost, to me, it's almost irrelevant, those next two games. It's Leicester and Southampton, but we've had a pre-season we should not be in a position where we're now thinking, oh, we need to go out to the training ground and work on this formation. And yeah, it's it, it just, I'm confused by it all. I'm, I'm laughing then, but it absolutely isn't funny. It's depressing, but if you've got to laugh at some point, I might literally come on here and cry one of these days, which is, is not a sight I want to show anybody. Um, the, Ash said something after the game, I think it was in regards to transfers though, after Palace, saying that the, the plan was always to assess the squad after Crystal Palace. No, it isn't. You're going to assess the squad after three games. Surely, get pre-seasons the time that you assess the squad. That's literally what it's for. It should be ready to go, raring to go from day one. Yeah. And I know you can have a good start and then fizzle out, and likewise, you can have a bad start and still have a decent season. But it's not just about the results. The performances for 20 games have been rubbish, and that's what the concern is. Um, Matt, I'll bring you back in. Is there any? Have you got any faith? If I said right now, will Stephen Gerrard turn it around? Is that a yes or a no that you give me back? Oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um... But I'd say that means no, then. <laughs> it is, it is a difficult one because the obvious question is, should he go now? And I don't think he... I, I don't think it's fair. I know I've banged on about, you know, Aston Villa have set this system now that you judge people over the previous eight or nine months as well as the start of the season. I think it'd be harsh, harsh to, to get rid of him, you know, at this stage of the season. You know, how, how long did... did 
did Dean Smith get last season? Smith got 10 games, nothing. Did he? Or, or so, maybe 11. I think maybe you asked me. You asked me then again what, what his future should hold. Do I currently have faith in him to turn it around? Not at this exact minute, no. But I think giving somebody the courtesy of another six games to at least have a bash at it. Um, but again, we need to see signs. You know that doesn't mean that we we win the next six games. You know on a on a you know Harlem Glo- Globetrotter kind of spree of attacking, exciting action. But it does mean that. We do, we do. As fans who watch Villa regularly, we do get a sense of, oh yeah, this is the way we set up. This is the way we we want to achieve mm. things. I don't see that yet, so I don't. I, I have very little faith that he can turn it round, but I do believe he should be given another couple of months to to try and turn it round. Um, sorry, I just counting my head there. So Arsenal, Man City, Leicester, Southampton, Leeds, and Forest. It would be ten games, and there's Chelsea, Fulham, and Brentford. And Newcastle would make it to fifteen, which was more than than um, than Smith got. How many points from those next four or five, John? Because we were all just saying let's write off Arsenal and Man City, so it's Leicester, Southampton, Leeds, and Forest takes up for ten. If, if you get nine points from those four and you start to see a bit of a, a turnaround, I think that's fine. He, he's done enough then to to get the benefit of the doubt to at least get to the Qatar break. But if we lose the next four, or you get one point from the next four. Is it worth sticking around? Because you'll be in the bottom three by that point for sure. And then it, oh, I, mean, I was saying at the start we won't be in a relegation battle, but if we are after eight or nine games, we I are going to be in a relegation battle. I personally can't look beyond that Southampton game because there's an international break after it, and you're most replicating what happened last season: a poor run of form, and then an international break, and then that was after Southampton as well, wasn't it? Smith's last game. Yeah, and then the um, and then obviously Smith got. He got released after the before the international break, so I'm not looking past the international break. I think that's a big, this is a significant period in the season, and I don't, I have no. Uh, it's, it sounds like we're bashing Joe Timmy. It's not. We all want it to work for the benefit of Aston Villa, but I can't look past the fact that we don't know what we're doing on a football pitch. Results mm-hmm. comes after that for me. If we don't even know what we're doing, what? How on earth are we supposed to get near a top ten? Let alone go to uh, Liverpool, sorry, uh, Leicester, and say, "Oh, they've had a bad start to the season. We should be able to beat them." West Ham didn't score a goal, and in a poor game, we lost one nil. And yeah, it was a slice of luck. But I think we'd have taken a nil nil, John, yesterday. I, I, as a point, would have been decent. Would have taken a nil nil if the second half we'd have showed a little bit more attacking intent and been able to control, you know, keep West Ham at bay. A little bit more. I don't, listen, we've been, we've been done by fluky deflection. So, do you know what I mean? A clean sheet. I, th- I think we possibly could have kept a clean sheet without that. I'm not saying we would have done because yeah. I think the onus was with West End, West Ham then. But mm-hmm. we're in this kind of rut at the moment where we seem incapable of even grinding out. Yeah. it's quite. I think that, that that's me being quite. Um, Kind and fair. Saying I'd have taken a nil-nil against the West again at a packed Villa Park with this display of talent that we've got against the West Ham team that couldn't buy a point, and I'd have taken a nil-nil. So I don't think we've been massive. You know, you know, I don't think our, our standards have been impossible for Villa to match. Just give us something. Yeah, yeah. My only th- yeah. Uh, I said with Dan in the, in the preview, it, it's a game that you must not lose in a way because it at least stop the rot, but. Even if he picked up a point, I'm not. I'm as frustrated and worried that I am now 
Because again, we've seen nothing in that game that's going to convince me that we will be able to beat Leicester and Southampton. And if we don't beat those two teams and we lose to Arsenal and Man City, we're in the bottom of three. There's an international break. And it's a serious problem. We, again, you go back to what Perslow was saying and what Gerard always goes on about was, I took the clubs uh, away from the relegation fight. Well, that's exactly what we'll be in the way come that international mm-hmm. break because we'll be one of the worst teams in the division without an identity, without a way of playing. The players not knowing what they're doing. So again, results are important. But when I'm not seeing anything that's going to make me feel like there's a long-term plan that's so going what, to take us towards top ten. What we will need to see in these next four games then to make you, when I ask you that question, have you got faith in Gerald to turn it around? For you to say yes instead, what would you need to see? Because I'm looking at Arsenal the other day against Fulham, Fulham going ahead, Arsenal getting back into it after an hour. If we went to Arsenal on Wednesday night and we go ahead and Arsenal come back in the last half an hour and we look at it and go, we did all right against Arsenal, they're, they're top of the league or second in the league or whatever. We've done all right there. Man City at home is, you know, anyone could lose to these two sides. I'm not, I'm not judging too harshly, but I want to see some kind of performance to change my mind that there's something there. And if you follow that up with good performances and results, ideally two wins against Leicester and Southampton, I think I could sit here and go in, in that international break and go, he has earned a bit more time because the last the last four games we've looked, we've looked better. That's been an improvement. But as of 29th of August, you've got the end of the transfer window, first of all, to come. And I'm thinking, well, we could lose the next four. Yeah, exactly. So, but then you could sack the manager and then they come in and they get Arsenal, Man City and Leicester as their first three defeats because we're in such a bad run. Anyone could lose those games. Yeah, and I, I don't think that decision will be made before. Okay, that, that's We're only six days, five, six days before the Man City game. So it's football changes quickly. We could be sitting here next week again looking towards that Leicester and Southampton game thinking Leicester is a must win and if it doesn't happen then where do we go? I think, again, you're looking at what are we, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a results driven business. We're not getting the results at the moment. But moreover, that I just want to see us go back to basics, as Matt said earlier. Can we do what we did against Brighton away, Brighton at home, Palace away last season when Gerard first came in? And he was positive and we got behind it. But I feel like any manager should be able to do that. And if they can't do that, then where are, like, where are we going? Because if we can't go back to basics and we're trying to do some fancy thing of playing two up front, get Coutinho on the ball more often and now we've got Bailey and Buendia off the bench, but what are they actually contributing? Archer gets like 90 seconds. So what, what is the plan? It's, I'm going in roundabouts and I'm coming back to the same question of I don't know what we're trying to do and that's an issue. I can't look beyond even Arsenal at this point. We need to go there and just show up shop and get what we can on the break or on a set piece and just show something. Um, but ultimately, it's an identity that I'm after. Uh, results will follow that but they won't follow if we don't have it. So that's where I'm. Same question to you, Matt. What what do you need to change that no to a yes? Um, some goals. <laughs> a clean sheet. Um, you just get a sense, don't you? Get, you know, we could, we could go over heat maps and tactics all day long. You could just get a sense of when your team is competitive and when it's not. Mm-hmm. And at the moment... That team's not competitive. I think it, I think it's confused. I think it's feeling sorry for itself a little bit. I think it, it, it chops and changes from from one minute to the next without any real explanation or you know understanding of, of, of why changes have been made. I still think we get players, we get form players left on the bench, and we get out of form players left in the team. Uh, all the things that managers have paid big money 
to solve and all the things that ultimately the good ones get it right. Not all the time because they make mistakes and they learn and they go through sticky patches, but the good ones get it right. The bad ones eventually lose their job. So that's that's mm. what we've, we've come down to. And for Steven Gerrard, he's never really known this. He's never known it. He's never been a manager. I'm not saying he's not been a manager under pressure because managing Rangers comes with its own kind of unique pressure. But that was... He's never really kind of known losing ruts or long periods without without winning games. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, I think I've seen it. What did I, say? I saw a quote from him. I don't know whether he said this when you were in the press yesterday. I think somebody must have mentioned uh, mentioned the, what, asked him about the booing and he come out and said, I've got two ears. <laughs> As if to say, I can hear it. I know what's happening. Thinking, well, yeah. Yeah, you have got two ears. Fair play, you can hear it. That's your job now. That's your job to turn yeah. those kind of cheers into cheers or whatever. That was the. Um, so again, I should say that was the last question. I think it all sort of died down. He was asked about that previously, and he just said, "Oh, we can feel the fans' frustrations, and that's it's fine. We can take that." And then he was asked directly about it. Did you hear it? And he was probably not. You could sort of poke the bear, the guy next to me. <laughs> yeah, he, he gave him a look. Yeah. I've got two ears. Um, well, the other thing I was going to mention, away from, uh, well, not away completely from from the, from the football, but I tweeted about it last night. It's that, that bloke who's trying to nick the ball at the front of the Trinity. I saw your tweet about it, yeah. Unbelievable. So, last 10 minutes of the game, I think it was a Villa throwing. Ball, the ball girl or the ball operative or whatever I'm supposed to say now <laughs> wanted to get the ball back quickly. I think it's assistant. Ball assistant. to kind of put, put some pressure on. This bloke kind of got, grabbed the ball, squirreled it away under his seat in a bag or something. And the people around him are like, give the ball back, give the ball back, thinking we want it quickly because we, we want to put pressure on West Ham. And he's like, no, no, no. And he took this ball away. And eventually the, the, the ball assistant gave up. Another ball was on the pitch. Everybody around this fella was like pointing him, saying, "What are you doing? You absolute kind of idiot!" and stuff like this. So eventually, the stewards came over to say, "Listen, mate, you know if you're going to commit a theft, it's probably not worth doing it in front of forty-two thousand witnesses, especially when they're angry witnesses." Uh, right now, so as soon as the steward came over, he threw the ball back onto the pitch. So we got two balls in uh, on the football pitch now, and um. So they marched him off. They marched him off eventually. This 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 bloke and his poor the poor lad who was with him was like thinking, "Oh my god!" I just think, what's all that about? Why did you try and steal a football during the course of a match? Bizarre. You know, I, I sit lower Trinity and I have done for ten, twelve years or whatever it is now. I've always wanted the ball to come to me for that reason to like disrupt the play I've always I've always just dreamt about it sat there you know, like when you see it when it's the opposition throwing and they're asking for the ball back and the fan yeah. holds on to it I want to be that fan that holds on to yeah. the ball and everyone goes wee I want to be that guy and then when they take the throw in the other ball I'll chuck it on the pitch and everyone will go wee and I want to be that guy I've thought about it for a long time it's never ever happened I've never had the ball come to, to my seat uh, you I'm don't want to do it against your team do you and you don't no, want I wouldn't to... do it for against Villa against you don't want to steal it to stick it on eBay nah Bizarre. Um, there was. Uh, I'm done with the football now. To be honest, I'm, I'm scrolling through all the stuff. I'm trying to find uh, a shout out that we were supposed to give somebody. But I can't find it. Um, and there is something that Villa just tweeted about Nathan Baker, who's apparently retired for medical reasons. Um, oh so I don't know what I don't know what that actually means. That's the only thing I've seen. But yeah, best wishes to Nathan Baker. I quite like Nathan Baker. My, my brother saw him in 
my brother saw him in Sainsbury's a couple of days ago and he said hello to him. So hopefully he's okay. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. I don't know whether you can find anything, Matt, while I uh, dig through other stuff. But yeah, best wishes to Nathan, Nathan Baker. I hope he's okay. I don't know where he was before that. Um, been at Bristol City for a while, hasn't he? He's only 31. Bad, isn't he? I mean, he was good. He, he had a wall under. I think didn't wasn't he under um, Bruce potentially? He, he obviously, he, I think he burst through under under Lambert, didn't he? And I think he he had a while with keeping um, Tommy Alfie at the team. Mm-hmm. I think I think he got a decent partnership with with James Chester for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I think kind of low end Premier League top end Championship was 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 probably his level. He'd probably get a game now actually for Villa if that's his level. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, it'd be interesting to find out what, what's happened there because he was, you know, I think he's a local lad, I think he's from Worcester. He was um, always, you know, the time when I was interviewing players and the Villa reporter back then, he was always um, friendly enough, quite shy guy, but he was a decent a decent defender. So yeah, it's a shame footballer ending his career at 31. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Bristol City of... Done a statement saying the 31 year old will step away from the game as a consequence of a head injury he sustained at Sheffield United on November 28, 2021. Now he was hospitalised for 24 hours following that incident and has since been undergoing test treatment and recuperation in an effort to resume his career. Having assessed his progression over a period of nine months, Nathan has been advised by medical professionals that to carry on playing at professional level would represent a significant risk to his ongoing and future health. So, yeah, a bit of a freak injury. He's been out for a long time and out to retire. So, yeah, that's a shame. Um, Anyway, I found the, the tweet I was going to read out, not to disregard Nathan Baker's health. And uh, from Michael Huggins, I'm sure I met Michael once after we got promoted. I'm sure he, he bumped into me because I recognise the name. He says, Hi, this was before West Ham. My nephew will be coming to the fir- his first game at Villa Park on Sunday against West Ham. He is from Nevis in the West Indies and he's 13. As you can believe, his friend's on the island. Can't believe he is going to a game, so I'll be giving him the full match day treatment. His name is Malachi or Malaki. And you will make his day if you can give him a shout out on your next podcast. So Malakai. Mal- might be Malakai. Oh, no. he, he won't be having his day made now if we've all mispronounced his name. Um <laughs> but yeah, nice little thing to, to be, you know, one of the only kids from the island to go and watch a villa game. Like that that's probably quite a big deal. And what a great game to go to. I'm sure he enjoyed it very much. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. There's a lot of talk. We've had millions of comments today, probably the most We've we've had for a long time. Actually, there's 700 people watching this bank holiday Monday. Get a life. I'm joking. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm joking. Um, people talking about the next manager. I don't really like doing stuff like this while we've still got a manager. And we will talk about Gerard's replacement when Gerard is replaced, if he's replaced. But the two names that are going round and round on social media at the moment just sound mental to me. The two Ps. Pochettino and Potter. Surely no chances there of either. Am I alone in thinking that? Or am I just am I downplaying Aston Villa size that we go to Pochettino and go, here's 20 million to be our manager? He would go, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know. I, I think you mentioned that, Dan. We don't really want to talk about managers <laughs> coming in, I, but I don't think you could get away from We're only... No no one's an idiot. I don't think that either the owners or whoever is is making these full decisions that they can't be thinking about these topics I suppose it's the same as like a transfer window I, I presume if, if your striker's not scoring goals maybe you look at bringing in a new striker I don't know um, yeah listen where we are at the moment we're an ambitious football club who has a lot of money to spend we are in my opinion one of the most attractive clubs to work at or play for outside the top six I think you're looking at Newcastle and 
I would have said Leicester a couple of years ago, but I think at the moment they're in a, they're obviously in a bit of a rut. I missed another one out there, uh, West Ham as well. To be fair, um, so that's where we are. Those managers, if you're talking Potter, I think he likes to work under a structure that's that knows exactly what he wants and will give him what he wants and listen to him. I think, I think Graham Potter's a genius. I, I really like him. Obviously from Salil as well, uh, and then Pochettino is a name that's obviously going to be linked and. I think he wants to return to the Premier League, whether the job that that job would suit him, I have no idea. And again, I, I don't think it's worth getting or talking about because Gerard's the manager. We want him to turn it around. But um yeah, I I'd almost look at the structure as well. <clears throat> you know, we've we've appointed Gerard and it hasn't worked. Does that mean that we should just select the next manager and move on and hope that that works? Because if that doesn't work after that, then I think we've we're in much more of a sticky position than what we are now. So who's making that decision is what I'd ask as well. Anything to add, Matt? It's an awkward one, isn't it? Because I think I think Dean Smith was able to to almost book the trend in a way of the Villa job becoming a kind of career killer. Really, I think I've said this many times that there's not too many managers, certainly in recent times, who have either come on and come in and kicked Villa on. Or if they've done a good job when they've left, but they've not really gone on to much, much more anyway. Um, so I still think it's, you know, it is a plum job. It's still, you know, in terms of the, the prestige, history, all the things that we bang on about as Villa fans, but also in terms of what we think the owners want to do, what kind of investment they think we think that, that they're willing to they're willing to, to put in. I think it is it is a really really attractive job now. Is it an attractive enough job for someone like Pochettino, who can probably bide his time and get one of the top half a dozen jobs across European football, uh, which I don't think the Villa job quite quite fits into that category yet. Uh, so I'm not convinced it necessarily is. Um, Graham Potter, would you look at Villa and see well? You know, I'm sure he still he thrives on a certain level, level of pressure, but he probably gets his own way a little bit more at Brighton than he potentially would at, at Villa. Um, I do remember him, didn't he? Didn't he have a pop at the Brighton fans last year because they booed a, a nil-nil draw or, 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 or something like that? Mm. Uh, I like that. I like the fact that he was kind of feisty enough to, to, to look after himself, but he probably would get... Uh, what would convince him? at the moment, that Villa, Villa would be a better job than Brighton? Nothing. I think what would convince... The only thing that you could convince him with is if, um, to say, if the structure suited Potter and you gave him what he wanted, because you're not even going to get an interview off him. If, uh... we've, we've, got a, we've got a decent squad and we've got spending power. That is attractive to most managers. Somebody says, why does Potter sound mental when we're a way bigger club than Brighton? Which I agree with. We are a bigger club than Brighton. Potter. Potter's stock is never... It's only going to keep rising. He can have exactly, any job yeah. As long as, yeah. but the only thing for him is, yeah, I don't, I don't see a top six club going for Graham Potter uh, because I think what would be England manager within eighteen months. what if he stays at Brighton and continues doing well, he could have the pick of somebody like the England manager, yeah. Or I don't think he'd go after. Yeah, I don't know which are the top six, but I would, I would be looking at if I was a manager now looking at Villa on, on today, I'd be thinking. I'm on a good thing with Brighton. I'm on the up. Everyone likes me. If I go to a, a Villa, firstly, I could be sacked in nine months. True. Second of all, yeah. my stock after Villa could be in the pits. So why would I risk my career on that? 
the only the only thing that I would say is that if he's not going to get a top six job, which I'm not sure if he will, because if you go through them, I don't think that chance is going to come up anytime soon. Or if it does, I don't think Potter would be the first candidate there to go after. Uh, after that, again, you're looking at West Ham, Newcastle, Villa, those sorts of clubs. When's he going to get an opportunity to manage those teams without those teams being in a rut? Because West Ham aren't sacking Moyes if they're doing well. Mm. Liverwood, Newcastle with Eddie Howe and... Obviously, with Villa, we're not going to let go of Gerard if we've just won five in a row. So you're always going to go into a job off the back of um, or trying to sort a problem before you can really start, you know, doing your own thing. So I don't, I don't think this is crazy as what it sounds, but ultimately, I think whoever the manager is, you you, you can't just give them a good wage and say you've got 100 million to spend in the summer. It doesn't work like that, and we're only going to make more problems for ourselves in the future. Is is what Everton have in the last five years? They've spent a load of money yeah. without really. They're having, you know, a plan. I think I see some of that in what we're doing at the moment. In the last couple of summers, after losing Grealish, we sort of just spent our way through it without a real plan. And then bringing in Gerard and play with wingers, even though we bought, you know, a couple. So, yeah, we'll see again. No one wants to see Gerard lose his job. We want him to work. No, some people but, do. <laughs> but but it, in the comments are saying they want him to lose his job. But as in... <laughs> We want a Villa fan wants the Villa manager to succeed. That's that's it doesn't matter whether it's Steve and Gerald or want, that. We want them to win. Fan wants manager to win game. Like that, that's what yeah. that's what we're saying. It's nothing malicious and we're not suggesting anything. It's just the results need to come and performances need to come as well as an identity which needs to be established. But we've had 10 months, so that's why the conversation will be happening soon if those things don't start to uh, oh. turn around. We're talking about that next, that next international break as being a decent opportunity. It's four games or so this isn't like we're going, well, well, let's assess it at the end of the season. It's too early to be talking about it. Like, we've got two two of those four games this week, so it could be very fastly upon us that we are talking about a change of manager, so it's not stupid to do so, but I'm not going to talk about any further today because I think that it is a little bit stupid to talk about replacements when he's still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah he's he's dragging on. We'll still be talking. We'll, we'll still be on, <laughs> online anyway by the time the, the, the Arsenal <laughs> game and the Man City games play. This is the Arsenal preview as well. West Ham, a 1-0 defeat to West Ham, I don't know. Well, that shows that it's not just about the game, isn't it? It's about the, the state of the club at the moment. And it's still a talking point that we could probably do another half an hour on or, or more. So we will call it a day there. There won't be an Arsenal preview tomorrow, uh, I don't believe. So I think Ash is off this week, unless unless you and me might do one, John. I'm, I'm unsure yet. I'm honest, I, I don't know what, what there is to say. We've, we've just assessed all our problems, so we'll only be repeating ourselves anyway. Um, we'll be doing a show after the Arsenal game. It's on TV, on BT. Matt, is that going to be you and me, do you think, on Wednesday night? Yeah, it should be. I think okay. so, yeah. Just get out of the way. Yeah. Okay, so that we'll do the post-Arsenal one on Wednesday night. It's deadline day Thursday. So we'll be around at some point to discuss either the window as a whole or any new signings that, that come in in the next couple of days. And then it's looking ahead to Man City, which is a, a tea time kickoff on Saturday. So again, it'll probably be me and Matt after the game Saturday night. Um, but yeah, we'll see how things go. Gents, thank you very much for joining me uh, on Bank Holiday Monday. Appreciate it. And thanks to all the comments for getting involved as well. I've not flashed any up, but I've tried to guide the conversation by by the vast amount that we've had so thank you very much for for joining us uh gents it's, it's, i was gonna say it's been a pleasure it has to an extent to chat to you but the topic of conversation isn't exactly fun is it um yeah. but yeah we'll be back potentially tomorrow definitely wednesday so um yeah we'll see you then thank you for listening to claret and blue and aston villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please do let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode but until then up the villa up the villa